0: Greetings, Gothic romancers. It's time to return to Ashbury Manor and Beatrix Green on Fear, Realms Horror Channel. Stanhope is dead. The Manor has been taken over by evil, kind of like uh, Mart Club in our last outing together, and our heroes need to act fast if they're going to save themselves. Will James and Beatrix succeed at freeing the house from evil? Find out after this word from our sponsor. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals.
1: That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now.
0: How many more must die, evil lord? Let's find out. I'm your host, Pun Bandu, and this is Beatrix Green. Episode 8.
2: Let it be done. James wasn't sure if it was a command or a prayer as he hurled the ring into the fun. but the words echoed in his mind anyway as all around him, Ashbury Manor continued to groan and seethe. Let it be done. This ring had to be the source of evil in this house, passed down from man to man, from father to son, stripping each of their humanity, twisting them into something cruel and monstrous, a creature that only cared about power and its own desires. Destroy this talisman, and they would end the evil Stanhope had unleashed. The flames flickered over cold gold, the metal glowing hot, and James held his breath. At his side, Beatrix slipped her hand into his, their fingers interlaced. Had it only been an hour or so ago that she'd been lying in his arms? It already seemed like another lifetime, as though what Stanhope had done had created almost as big a crack in the fabric of James's life as his brother's death there was now a distinct before and after. He had thought he understood the presence that stalked the halls of Ashbury Manor. But he had no idea. No idea at all. And that it should be Stanhope who unleashed such a thing upon them all. For years, James had taken Stanhope's interest in him and his home as a sign that his friend cared about him, sought to understand his family background, had that once been true? Had he ever truly been a friend? Or had the evil here seized on a weak, grasping man in James's proximity, and twisted and used him to bring James to this moment? James would never know. The thought filled him with a mixture of anger and pity, and he kept his eyes on the flames, hoping, let it be done. Is it working? Amanda asked now, stepping closer. I think it might be working. James still listened. It did seem as though the house was settling somewhat. The rattling was slowing down and the groans and thumps were softer, fading. The air no longer felt as heavy and he took a deep breath. Beatrix's fingers flexed in his and he tried not to look back at the study door, not to remember that dream of those lovely fingers crushed and mangled, not to remember how he had walked away from her, taking his father's place at the desk. The ring still sat in the grate, flames dancing around it. Suddenly, the stone in the center cracked, and then miraculously, unbelievably, the house went quiet, James closed his eyes briefly, thanking a god he no longer believed in. Beatrix let out a breath, one hand going to her throat. Is it over? she asked, and James was afraid to answer, afraid to let relief sink in. He had already thought the evil in this house vanquished once this night, and he had been horribly wrong. And yet the house stayed silent. Amanda gave one of those rich laughs of hers, breaking the tension. "'You in your house certainly keep a girl on her toes, Mr. Walker,' she said as she reached into her trouser pocket and removed a silver case. Despite her sardonic tone, James saw that her hands were shaking, and it took her several attempts to pull a thin black cigarillo from the holder. Even once it was in her hands, she didn't light it, only tapped it nervously on the front of the case.' This is not my house, Mrs. Reynolds, James replied, or it will not be for much longer. You may trust that. If I were you, Amanda replied, I'd take kerosene and matches to the entire thing. It was not an altogether bad idea. He thought about Stanhope, mutilated and rotting beneath the edifice and shuddered. Perhaps no one should ever live in Ashbury Manor again. Perhaps some places could never truly be reclaimed after holding so much horror. Folding her arms over her chest, Amanda squinted at James and Beatrix. I don't know about the two of you, but I think it might be time to see if that inn back in the village has some spare beds. The village, Beatrix breathed, looking over at James. Harry went there. Oh, thank the Lord, he was already quit of this place. James nodded, equally relieved that Harry was safe. One less person to worry about. Wish I had followed him, Amanda said, tucking her hair behind one ear. And to be honest with you, even if there isn't any room for us, I'll sleep in the carriage or in the stable anywhere but here. James gave a shaky laugh. An excellent proposition, Mrs. Reynolds. Shall we? He gestured to the door, Beatrix still at his side and Amanda turned, reaching into her pocket again as she placed the cigarillo between her lips. And here I thought the English were dull, she said as she reached the door. The knob turned easily in her hand, the hallway still and dark beyond the study, and James's relief was so strong it nearly made his knees weak. It was over. They were getting out of this place, and he would never set foot in Ashbury Manor again. He felt a soft weight on his arm and turned to see Beatrix there, staring out into the dark corridor. James, she said slowly. What if... What if it isn't that simple? What if this isn't over? Covering a hand with his own, James gave it a quick squeeze. Then we'll run like hell for the door. Never heard a better plan. Amanda said, stepping forward and leading the way. And then she stopped. What is it? Beatrix asked, a voice sharp. Do you see something? But Amanda didn't answer, only stood there, frozen. The cigarillo fell from her lips and her body slowly raised itself on tiptoes, as though she were suspended from her shoulders by invisible strings. She turned the tips of her shoes barely brushing the carpet. And James felt something deeper than fear take hold of him as he realized Amanda's body was not her own, but rather held tightly in the grip of some unseen force. Amanda, Beatrix cried, her hands flying to her mouth. Oh God, what's it doing to her? James didn't have an answer. She dangled there, staring at the two of them with wide eyes, Her face twisted in a rictus of terror. James reached for her, unsure what to do, but knowing he had to do something. He had only lifted a hand when her head jerked violently to the right, the crack echoing like a shot through the room. So loud, he flinched away from it as her broken body crumpled to the floor.
3: Beatrix could only stare at Amanda, dead on the carpet, the sound of her neck snapping still ringing in her ears. How could a woman as bright and vivacious as Amanda Reynolds be snuffed out so quickly, faster than a candle? What sort of evil had a hold over this place? She barely had a moment to process when the carpet jerked beneath them, undulating as though it were no longer fabric, but a serpent coiling and writhing. The walls around them began to shake, harder than they had before. And Beatrix knew that this time, there would be no reprieve, no false ending. This time, the house meant to have them. James grabbed her hand. Come Beatrix, we have to leave. There's nothing we can do for her now. He began to run, pulling Beatrix behind him through the open study door She felt like she was going to be sick as they stepped around Amanda's broken form, her eyes staring into nothingness. But then Amanda's head swiveled slightly, the bones making a terrible, grinding sound that Beatrix knew she'd hear in nightmares forever. The eyes were still empty, but the lips parted, and while the voice that came out was Amanda's, there was a hollowness to it, as though she was speaking from a great distance. Mine. It sighed, and Amanda's lips twisted into a grin, blood slowly dribbling from the corner of her mouth. Mine, Mine. now. No, no matter how, how far you, you run. run. Nowhere to hide, Albie. I'll I'll be. Not this Not time. Vile rose in her throat as Beatrix jerked her head away from the abomination this house had made of Amanda. She saw a muscle clench in James's jaw as he pulled her from the room. Beatrix stumbled as they turned into the hallway, her hand dropping from his. The paintings rattled on the wall. One, showing a scowling man in blue velvet, fell to the floor. The sudden crack of its frame breaking, making Beatrix's stomach royal reminding her of the sound of Amanda's neck as she... No, no, she couldn't think of that. She had to keep moving, no matter the fear and the grief. She pushed forward, James just behind her, both of them clutching at each other as, underfoot, the carpet continued to roll. Plaster rained down from the ceiling. It felt as though the whole damn place meant to shake itself apart, and, for a moment, Beatrix viciously hoped it would... Let it be nothing but rubble, even if she were caught in it. It might be worth it, just to put an end to this wretched place. But even as the thought occurred to her, something else welled up inside her chest. Something fiercer and stronger. This house will not have me. It has taken enough. So she pushed on, even as the walls began to bend and bow around them. And then... Hands. Gaping at the wall, Beatrix watched as hands reached out from behind that rancid floral wallpaper, grasping at them, at her, the fingers curling like claws. And they were everywhere, as though dozens, perhaps hundreds, were trapped behind those walls, pushing their way out, or perhaps meaning to pull her in. These halls were like a labyrinth. With every step she took closer to the front door, it felt as though she were moving backward, sinking deeper into the house. The walls seemed to breathe in and out, pressing so close she could feel the tips of those ghostly hands skating against her skirts. It made her feel as if she were being swallowed, consumed. Deeper and deeper, she seemed to go into the belly of the beast.
0: And how he rose from nothing to become
2: New York's King of the Egg Cream.
0: So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Beatrix turned a corner and stumbled again, feeling one of those hands against the side of her head, fingers curling to clutch her hair, and she swallowed back a scream. The fingers were cold, damp. She fought them off desperately. Across from her, one of them had hold of James's collar. He twisted violently, breaking out of its grasp, but she saw his eyes go wide with the same terror that was coursing through her. There was a faint sucking sound, a tug, as the hands pulled her closer to the wall by her hair, as though it would absorb her. The wall felt sticky, slimy. Her temple slicked with something she did not want to investigate. Beatrix used all her strength to wrestle her hair out of its grip. With a yell, she fell forward into James's arms. She grabbed his hand and scrambled up, not pausing for a moment. They ran and kept running, despite the stitch forming in her side and the hands reaching from the walls. Beatrix nearly cried out with relief when they rushed into the drawing room out of the hallway. She took a shaky breath, trying to collect herself. The front door was just beyond the drawing room's other entrance, Tantalizingly close It called to her like a lighthouse A beacon amidst the terror The front door James swallowed It might not open We've tried Beatrix It will be sealed shut just as before She turned to him Placing her hands on either side of his face Forcing him to look into her eyes We will get out of this house James Walker We will find a way James exhaled and nodded, pulling her close, kissing her roughly on the mouth. When he let go, Beatrix squeezed his hand and took a step toward the door on the opposite side of the room, feeling James's steady presence at her back as she moved closer to escape. As she drew near, she became aware of a glow just out of sight, as though a fire were burning to the left side of the door. Beatrix dimly wondered if something had caught a light. She remembered Amanda's words about kerosene and matches. Oh, Amanda, when I get out of here, I will dance on the ashes for you. I promise. Just let me get out first. She rounded the corner. The glow grew brighter. So bright, Beatrix had to lift her hand against the glare. The heat washed over her in waves. And what she saw nearly brought her to her knees. For the first time that night, she truly screamed the sound tearing from her throat two figures blazing in front of her and the scream she heard now was not her own but coming from these two people clutching each other as they burned as their skin blackened and blistered as a sickening smell like roasting meat filled the room her parents dying in front of her Wailing in agony. Beatrix faltered forward, and her mother's head twisted toward her, one eye wide with terror, the other gone, no more than a blackened hole in her once beautiful face. Mother! She screeched. James's hands were on her arms now, pulling her back. She hadn't realized how close she'd gotten, or that tears were pouring down her cheeks, warm in the fire's heat. And still she reached out for them. It's not real! James was shouting. Beatrix, it's not real! But it had been. The house was not showing her a version of her parents' deaths. It was showing her how it had been. Worse than even her tortured imaginings. She lunged forward again and James wrenched her away. Beatrix, please! Her heel caught the back of her skirt. And she and James both fell backward onto the floor, his hands still clutching her hers still reaching out. Around them, the house continued to shake. Her parents vanished. The vision did not fade out or drift away. It was simply gone, leaving nothing but the lingering odor of smoke and ruination and the sound of Beatrix's own sobs filling her ears. God damn this cursed place, James muttered, low and dark against her temple as he wrapped his arms around her. I wanted to see them, Beatrix said, her chest heaving. When I was a child, when my aunt took me to that seance, I thought how wonderful it would be to see them again. How I wished such a thing were possible. She shut her eyes, trying to dispel the image of them twisted around each other, burning and screaming and burning. That was not them, Beatrix. James said, pressing a kiss against her hair. It was one of this house's tricks. It wanted to hurt you, and so it conjured up the most monstrous thing it could. And I am sorry. I am so, so sorry. It's not your fault, she said, beginning to get to her feet. I told you the story. The house heard and it knew. I gave it the tools to cut me open. Then I am sorry you told me. James said as they stood, his hands still on her elbows as though he were afraid to let her go. Beatrix looked up into his face and rested her palms on his chest. I'm not, she said, and it was true. She would have given anything not to witness what she just had, but she was not sorry she had told James the most painful part of her past. What they shared tonight had gone deeper than anything she'd known with any other man and... For all the nightmares of Ashbury Manor, she would cling to this one good memory. Those few hours in her chamber. The way he looked at her now. He cared for her. It was clear in the warmth of his blue eyes, and Beatrix suddenly realized that she had never let herself be lonely. Never let herself regret the walls she'd built. Those walls had kept her safe had ensured that she would never need to depend on anyone, never be at another's mercy. But they also meant she'd never known this, the feeling of someone seeing everything that you were, the good and the bad, and still caring, still at your side. She was glad that she had let herself have that, even for one night. The house gave a mighty groan, and then a hush filled the entrance hall. Beatrix and James exchanged a terrified glance and turned away from each other toward the door. Beatrix rushed over, but the door did not budge, even as she yanked on the knob. She knew deep down that James had been right, that of course the house had trapped them. Something in her plunged perilously close to despair. They had to get out. There must be some way, some trick they hadn't tried— She turned back to James, ready to ask, only for the words to die in her mouth as she saw his rigid posture, his stare fixed upon the staircase. And then Beatrix understood that Ashbury Manor had further cruelties in store for them.
2: Thomas. Tommy. James watched his brother walk down the stair step. Distantly, he thought that if Ashbury Manor had given him a horrific, broken version of his brother, as it had done to Beatrix with her parents, he could have called it another one of the house's tricks and shut his heart to it. But the little boy who approached him was Thomas as he had been, perfect and whole and smiling, his eyes as blue as James's own as he reached the bottom of the stairs and held out one hand. James sank to his knees. Thomas, he said, his voice thick, throat tight. Oh, Thomas. I've missed you, his brother replied. And when he hugged James, he felt so solid and real in his arms. The velvet of his little black suit soft beneath James's hands. He even smelled as James remembered like milky tea and fresh air and the faint tang of stolen lemon biscuits. His brother pulled back from him, still smiling. Have you come to stay with me? Tommy asked, his voice heartbreakingly innocent and hopeful. James, he heard Beatrix say from behind him, her voice gentle, her touch soft on his shoulder. James, you know it's not real. Thomas didn't even look at Beatrix, didn't seem to see she was there. If you had let Mother find you, I wouldn't have been alone here, Thomas said. We could have played together every day. Wouldn't that have been nice? Yes, James whispered, his eyes filling with tears. His little brother, his precious baby brother who had died while James, who should have protected him, had huddled in the dark, afraid. And now Thomas had been stuck here all these years, in the dark of this house. He would not abandon him again. James, Beatrix said again, and her fingers tightened on his jacket as he stood up, his eyes still on Thomas. The house had gone utterly still around them, Quiet as a tomb. And James understood that there was no escape. Not for him. Ashbury Manor would not let Beatrix go until James gave it what it wanted. Himself. And so he would stay. He would take up the curse of his family's bloodline. And at last, this could all be over.
3: James turned to face her, and Beatrix almost gasped at the hollowness in his eyes, the defeat that radiated off him, even as he took the little boy's hand. The house will let you go, he said, voice flat. It wants me. He looked down at the boy, and Thomas can't be alone. Beatrix knew why this had been Ashbury Manor's last card to play, James's guilt over his brother's death, His sense of responsibility for it had always weighed him down in heart and mind and, finally, the house had decided to exploit that. "'James, please,' she said, echoing his earlier plea to hers, she stepped forward, reaching for him. But James only shook his head. "'I will stay,' he said loudly, clearly. "'It won't try to stop you now. You can live your life free of this place.' Free of me and all this bloody darkness. Go, Beatrix. Behind her, she heard the front door creak open. She whirled, staring out into the night. The air was chilled and smelled like smoke and grass and freedom. Maybe the door would slam shut on her the moment she approached, but she felt that James was right, that this was what the house truly desired. Now that he had acquiesced, it had no use for her anymore. It was as though the house were whispering to her, almost as Roger Latham had that night in her flat when he warned her to stay away from Ashbury Manor. Now she sensed the house itself almost cooing to her, like a mother to a fretting child. Go on, go on, it's all right now. The words were there in her mind, but they were not her own and the voice was soft, soothing. Nothing like the harsh croaking Amanda had uttered or the screaming of Beatrix's parents. The house had what it wanted and it no longer needed her. It could let her go. She could escape, dart to freedom and the life she'd known before, find Harry and forget about this ghastly place and all its ghosts and secrets the open door beckoned. All she had to do was choose.
0: Well, this episode is a lesson. In horror, no one is ever truly safe. I was hoping Amanda would make it, though. She was such a great character. Oh, Amanda. We hardly knew ya. How many people dead is that now? Fun fact, the writer's room, while they had rented that house in the South that I told you about in the previous episode, they were watching Crimson Peak in that house. Do you guys watch that movie with yeah, uh, Guillermo del Toro directed it? And... Uh, also very gothic in a house. Um, And so they watched it to get in the right mood. And uh, yeah, that was it. That's it. That's all I have to tell you. That's the fun fact. (laughs) But I did look up, actually, there were nine murders in that movie. Nine bodies counted. So Um, we got a ways to go, perhaps. Beatrix has some choices to make now. Come on back next time to see what she does in the final episode of Beatrix Green. See you then. You're listening
1: to Fear, Beatrix Green. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away.
2: Contained herein
0: are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth.
1: Ash Parsons, and Vicki Elvira Schechter. Produced by Haley Wagreich. Executive Produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Performed by Sharomi Arsario and Alistair Austin. Audio production, sound design, editing, and theme music by Amanda Rose Smith. Additional editing by Kaylin West. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Executive in charge for realm Mary Asadolahi. Fear is produced by Mary Asadolahi. Associate produced by Nicole Kreuter and Alexis Ladshaw. Executive produced by Molly Barton, Julian Yap, and Marcy Wiseman. Hosted by Pun Bandu. Audio editing by Corey Barton and Felicia Dominguez. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi, featuring drummer Andrew Niven and mixed by Max Kuttner. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Find more shows like Fear by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.